Ramble. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Bada bing, bada boom. Welcome to this week's mini-sode of Rotten Mango. I'm your host, Stephanie Sue, and I have exciting news. If you guys are interested in any of the Rotten Mango Industries merch that looks so good, we've got black crew necks, and it's so striking. We've got white hoodies, oversized t-shirts. We also have bada bing, bada boom merch that just recently launched. That will all be in the show notes, or go to fanjoy.co slash Stephanie Sue. Now let's get into the story. They pulled the body of a young 17-year-old boy out of his grave. They wanted to exhume him because none of the facts were making sense. I mean, yeah, they did the first autopsy, but why is it not adding up? The public is getting enraged. Facebook is like, hey, we got to do something. Something fishy is going on. The police said that he suffocated to death after willingly diving upside down into a tiny rolled-up gym mat. Gym mat? Like those giant gym floor mats that you put down for cheerleading or wrestling. The best way to describe these mats, it's it's a six foot tall roll of toilet paper almost. But the opening is really small. The center opening, because you know when you roll, let's say, when you roll a blanket, there might be a little opening in the middle. Yeah, like a toilet paper roll. Yes, but tiny. And his body, a high school boy, his body was found by his high school classmates in the old gym, rolled up in a gym mat. How does that even happen? And what about the blood on the walls? What about the clean shoes that were there that don't belong to him? What about the hoodie that looks like it has blood on there that also doesn't belong to him? That doesn't make sense. And what about the rumors about the FBI agent's high school son that allegedly was having problems with this guy? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So maybe they're finally going to get answers. But when they open up his body to do an independent second autopsy, they're shocked. His organs are all missing. What? They have been replaced by newspaper. As always, full source notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com, but there's a really good documentary that recently came out on this, like literally just dropped recently. It's called Finding Kendrick Johnson. Yes, we're talking about the Kendrick Johnson case. I feel like this is one of my most highly requested cases for this podcast. I mean, the whole family is involved in the making of this documentary. It's, it's emotional. The crime scene photos are included. You will not come out of this documentary without feeling some very strong, very intense emotions. But maybe that's what's needed. And there's recent updates on this case. So we're covering it. So who is Kendrick Johnson? He was born to his mom, Jackie Johnson, and his dad, Kenneth Johnson. Now, side note, the whole family actually has this really cute thing with their names. All of them are KJ. All of them, Mm. except for Jackie. So we've got Kenneth Johnson, Kendrick Johnson, Kenya Johnson. So, I mean, Jackie really likes KJ because it can also stand for King Jesus. So they're this huge family of faith. I mean, like really just a cute, the whole energy in the documentary. Jackie's the mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's like the Queen Jackie of this one, okay? okay? Now, the Johnson family had been living in Valdosta, Georgia, practically their whole lives. Yeah, we got a Georgia case today. Augusta? No, Valdosta. (laughs) <laughs> he said okay, Augusta, okay. the only one place I know in Georgia <laughs> outside of Atlanta. Okay. Now, Kenneth was a truck driver working these long shifts, but he was a family man. He spent a lot of time with his kids. All of their extended family lived nearby, either in Valdosta or somewhere in Georgia. So they always got, you know, got together. Kendrick was the life of the party. Everyone that knew him said that he was the happiest child. He just loved goofing around with his siblings. At home, he would jump onto his sister's backs like a little flying squirrel. And the sisters would get so mad, like, get off of me, would try to, like, fling him off. And then once he gets thrown off their backs, they start chasing him throughout the whole house. And the rest of the family's like, don't run in the house. But they're laughing. Like, this is the type of family relationship that they had. They would spend hours play wrestling, having these water gun fights. They were just, there was never a dull moment in this small little family. Family. Now, Kendrick, though, was a daddy's boy at heart. Yeah, you were expecting mama's boy. No, but he was a daddy's boy. He loved his dad so much. He looked up to him so much. If his dad told him, listen, I need to wake up four in the morning to go to this, you know, job that I have. 
my trucking job without fail, no matter what time, KJ would wake up and wake up his dad. Wow. And he loved going to school. I mean, this guy's like really just a good teenager, okay? So at school, he was considered to be relatively shy and reserved. Not as outgoing as when he's with family. But once you get to know him, he really, really enjoyed going to school. He had this close group of friends. They had this little tradition. Every single week, they go get hot wings together, okay? It's like really cute. He loved sports. He loved football. Wanted to go to college on a scholarship and go pro one day. So January 11th of 2013 rolls around. Kendrick, at this point, is 17 years old, going to Lowndes High School in Lowndes County, Valdosta, Georgia, the home of the Vikings. He plays football there, and he's, he's excited for the day. It's a Thursday. Tomorrow's Friday. That's always good news. But he also might be going to the basketball game after school. So he's thinking, yeah, it's going to be a good night. He gets to school on time, and the first few periods pass with no signs of anything strange. Fourth period rolls around, and Kendrick isn't in his fourth period class. Now, the teacher is thinking, okay, that's a little bit odd. That's really not like Kendrick. Maybe he's with the coach. Maybe he forgot to tell me. Maybe he skipped class. I mean, you never know these high schoolers. Suddenly, they have a day where they're influenced by their peers. They get rebellious for that day. And the teacher's like, well, uh, there's nothing I can do about it. I still got to teach this class. Maybe I'll tell someone later. Maybe I won't. Maybe it's no big deal. I'll figure it out tomorrow. I'll ask him tomorrow, where were you during fourth period? So the school day ends and Jackie's getting worried because KJ either calls her or is home right after school every single day. Okay, well, where's my call? So she calls up all his siblings like, have you talked to KJ? Did he say anything? They're like, I don't know. I think maybe he might have gone to the basketball game. It's Thursday night, so she starts calling all these people. By the time that the high school basketball game is over, he's still not home. Now, they start freaking out. They rush into their car. They're rushing to school. I mean, most things in the school at this point were closed, but they were able to talk to his bus driver. And they're like, hey, where's KJ? Well, he didn't ride home on the bus today. What? So Jackie starts calling dad, who's in New York for a trucking job. And Kenneth thought it was weird, too, because KJ always calls him when he was out for work. After school, he'd be like, hey, dad, I'm about to do this. Like, how's your job going? But he didn't call that day. And he just thought, oh, well, kids are kids. And so Mm -hmm. Jackie and KJ's sister, they start searching for him. They're in the car just driving block to block. But when the sun sets, they can't do it anymore. They call up the cops. The police show up at their door and they're like, we got to do something. Now, the police aren't as worried. They're like, listen, this is a small town. Okay, we're in Valdosta, Georgia. It's pretty safe. He's probably with his girlfriend somewhere. Maybe he skipped class and he's he's scared to tell you nothing we can't handle. And Jackie keeps telling them, I know my son on a school night. The curfew is 10 p.m., not 10.01, not 10.02. And they all know that they know that they're in trouble if they come home at 10.01. And guess what? It's past 10. He hasn't even called. There's just no way. So police like, OK, OK, well, if you insist, I can help you drive around the few, you know, a couple blocks around the school. See if I can spot him and I'll let you know. So he just leaves. <laughs> and Jackie and her family are like, what the heck? Okay. So they get into their cars. They start searching too. Midnight rolls around. There's still no sign of him. So they call dad, Kenneth. And he said that the feeling was bizarre. He just pulled over while he was driving on the highway like he's a truck driver. He laid on his mattress inside the truck and just started bawling his eyes out. He said that he knew in that moment, he doesn't know why, like this gut feeling that his son was dead. Like, that's just how unlike Kendrick this whole thing was. Now, the next morning rolls around and Jackie and KJ's siblings are rushing to school. They're like, we got to talk to someone. They go to the administrators. Hey, where's Kendrick? Have you guys seen him? Is he in school today? Maybe he came to school. When's the last time you guys saw him? Did he leave school with anyone weird? And they say, oh, now that you bring it up, actually, on our records, it shows that KJ skipped his later classes yesterday. So not only has he been missing since school ended, but probably before school ended since the third period now the school has two gyms i feel like a lot of schools have two gyms they've got the new gym where they do all of like their basketball games where other teams come over the other schools come over and then you're like oh look at my state-of-the-art basketball court but then you have the old gym where you usually take your pe classes where you usually have like you know your pacer test where you've got equipment stored in there and it's just it's more for like the students less for games now Mm -hmm. the old gym this particular school had a bunch of giant floor mats for cheerleading for wrestling all stored in there and kj's older sister realizes that a lot of people are going in and out of the old gym like while they're actively searching for kj now when they're going in and out they don't look like oh we're just hanging out in the old gym Mm -hmm. it looks like something happened in the old gym what 
So she starts trying to get in, and they won't let her in. But other people are going in and out. Like faculty. Oh. There were some students in and out. And at 10.30 a.m. that morning, a few students had been hanging out in the old gym talking. They were staring at the gym floor mats that were rolled up on one side of the room. They were standing vertically. So these gym mats, I mean, they're big. Like if you went around it, you probably couldn't hug it and touch your hands. But they're six feet tall. And they say, do you see that on the top of one of those gym mats? It looks like something white is sticking out from the center. So they get closer and they try to peer inside. They try to peer inside in the opening of the middle of this, you know, tube. And they realize that that white thing was a sock. And that sock was attached to a foot. So they start screaming, someone's wedged in the gym mat, someone's wedged in the gym mat. They rush to get a teacher in who helped lay the gym mat horizontally. And they realize, sure enough, they were hit with the smell of vomit, decomposition, There was a body in there. The body had been upside down. So, you know, it used to be standing vertically and the feet were sticking out of the top, which means that the body's head was on the ground, like literally perpendicular to the ground, completely encapsulated in the gym mat. One of the arms of the body was by the side. The other one was up around the head. So as if you were to wave high at someone. So it's kind of sticking up over your head. Immediately, they place a 911 call. Come down to Lowndes High School now. There's a dead body out there in the old gym. So Jackie said at this point, she knew someone was found in the gym. But she didn't know who. So she starts, I mean, she becomes hysterical because it's pretty obvious. She's the one with the missing son. Everyone else is going about their school day. And suddenly, a body has been found. She's hysterical. And a staff member comes up to her, pulls her aside and says... What are you screaming for? We don't even know if that's KJ. What? And she's like, what is wrong with these people? Yeah. So the police rush to the scene. Now, this is where it gets weird. They do not wear any protective footgear. Okay, fine. No PPE, but it gets weirder. They don't send all the kids home. They don't quarantine the kids. They don't try to question the kids. They let the school day go on as normal. Meanwhile, all over Facebook, Instagram, everyone at this school, text messages, they knew that KJ was dead in the gym, rolled up in one of those floor mats, but they're just casually doing class changes. They're just casually hanging out in the hallways. They're just casually learning algebra. Like, it's so confusing. Yeah, how do you do that? Well, there, it's I a- don't even know. For us, like, the smallest thing in my high school would result in, like, a full-on lockdown. Just, yeah. like, the tiniest little thing. Maybe the area is just so small that they think it's no big deal, or... I don't know. Or they don't know how to properly handle the situation? I feel like if the area is that small, it's worse because that would mean that the school facility is relatively small. Yeah. Which means that the kids would definitely know. It's not like a giant campus where it's just sequestered to like one tiny Mm -hmm. little corner Mm -hmm. so kj's family aren't allowed into the gym they're given pictures of kj's shoes to identify him they also told the police what he looked like he had these dreadlocks on he was wearing this when he went missing and they refused to let the family into the gym and i totally get that you know this is an active crime scene so jackie is sitting on this wheelchair outside and her family come they rally around her and they said that she looked drugged she looked like someone had just sucked the life out of her So not long after that, the family is alerted by the sheriff's office that KJ is dead and there are no signs of foul play involved. They said, and I quote, although the exact cause of death is yet to be determined as of this stage in the investigation, nothing has been discovered to indicate foul play was involved. (laughs) What in the world? I'm like getting a little agitated, but I'm going to try to be unbiased, okay? So tensions start, you know, they start rising in this small town, this small area. A woman was interviewed and she said, and I quote, I'm just glad it wasn't my son. You have to wonder how people might retaliate. It's just scary. Just yikes. So the police keep trying to calm everyone and say that, listen, the high school kid that was found in the gym mat, this wasn't murder. It was a terrible tragedy. Their theory goes a little something like this. They're like, let me explain it to you, okay? It's going to make sense once I tell you. That's what they're telling people. KJ, you know, he's trying to retrieve a shoe from inside the mat. So this six foot rolled up mat in the center of it. His shoes are there, his gym shoes. The mat is standing vertically. So the shoe is basically on the floor, but with this mat on top. So imagine putting a quarter on the tabletop and putting a toilet paper roll on top of it. Mm-hmm. How would you take the quarter out? Would you squeeze your big old hand into the center of the toilet paper roll? Or would you just likely tilt it to one side, slide out the quarter, mm-hmm. and put the paper roll back? Exactly. 
But no, the police are like, well, that doesn't make sense. Who does it like that? So KJ is like, well, I need to get my shoes from outside of the center of this mat, even though it's on the floor. So he somehow jumps six feet onto the top of this mat, this rolled up mat, which, by the way, is not sturdy. It's not like you're doing like those box jumps or whatever you call it. Like, it's not a sturdy mat. He sees his shoes in the center on the ground. So he decides to dive head first. He decides to dive head first into the center of this rolled up mat to get his shoes. But then he got stuck and he suffocated to death. At around 1.20 p.m., middle of a school day, so many people in and out of this gym. He didn't scream. He was suffocating to death. And it's it's not a fast process. Like suffocation takes a while. He knows he's going to die. He's not getting oxygen, but he doesn't scream. He doesn't try to get people's attentions. He's just like, you know what? This is my fate. But we don't know if that's the true cause of death, suffocation. No, that's where it gets even weirder. Yeah. Nothing gives me indigestion like uncomfortable pants, especially uncomfortable professional pants. You either have to look super cute, super chic, super professional, and be really uncomfortable. There's no in between. Like you can't have comfort and style. Or at least that's what I thought until I tried on Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants. And it's literally what the name implies, okay? They look like dress pants, but they have the comfort of yoga pants. It's like this perfect balance of style, polish, comfort. Beta Brand's dress pant yoga pants are designed with the fit and flexibility of yoga pants, but they look so professional. They've got this amazingly soft and stretchy fabric, and it just is absolutely effortless. You just throw on a pair, you add a cute blouse or cute top you'll be set with style and comfort for your work day and on top of that they have a ton of different styles to choose from like you can get straight legs skinny cropped bootleg and they've got colors they've got classic black to fun prints like houndstooth they even come in denim styles i love their straight leg ones i know that i said that i wasn't wearing a lot of skinny pants but their skinny dress pant yoga pants are so comfortable and they look so chic they're also made out of wrinkle resistant stretch knit fabric so you don't have to iron because nobody has time for that they're also machine washable and the best part you know i'm gonna say it they have pockets they have like real good pockets they also have new colors and patterns and styles that are coming out all the time so be sure to keep an eye out for a limited time new releases because they sell out fast i have practically invited everyone in my circle to check out beta brand because i'm like listen my sister's a pharmacist my cousin works a desk job at this massive tech company i'm like these are the pants for all of you guys so right now our listeners are getting 30 percent off their beta brand orders when you go to betabrand.com slash rotten that's b-e-t-a-b-r-a-n-d.com slash rotten for 30 percent off your order for a limited time and when you use our special url you're supporting our show too so find out why women are ditching typical work pants for beta brands dress pant yoga pants go to betabrand.com rotten for 30 percent off So their whole theory is bizarre and there's just so many questions to it. So the first being that Kendrick is five foot ten inches. The mat is six feet tall. How did he even get on top? So now they're saying, well, there's bleachers near the rolled up mats and there are indeed bleachers. But these bleachers are only about three steps tall and they get taller as you get further away from the mat. Does that make sense? So the first set of bleachers near the mat is just like sitting position, like Mm -hmm. a chair height. Then it gets taller as it gets towards the back wall further away from the mat Mm -hmm. and they only have about three layers of it like this is the old gym so they're not going to have just you know rounds and rounds of bleachers it's mainly used for like pe purposes so how did he even did he jump on there then didn't the mat top over i just i don't get it so then the question is why are his shoes in the mat to begin with now the students started coming forward and said that the school makes them pay for lockers so when they go to gym class or do these pe sports outside like in the fields they would leave their stuff in the rolled up mat so that nobody would take it they would just toss it into the mat so if someone passes by during class change they're not like "Ooh, let me just steal this So it was common for a ton of students to do this. Now, there's a little bit of debate on how it was done. Some students claim that they would throw their things into the vertical six-foot tube mat. So Mm -hmm. imagine being in high school and you're like, oh, let me just throw my freaking backpack in here. And you would throw it into the center. Then when you go back to get it, you would actually lift the mat up from the bottom, just tilt it to one side, slide out your stuff, and then put it back down. So you never really topple it over. You're just kind of lifting it up just Mm -hmm. enough to squeeze your stuff out of. But then another group of kids, they would say that they would throw their things 
over the mats, specifically KJ's friends. So what they're saying is that the mats are standing vertically. And when you walk past, you see these mats through the gym doors, but you don't see behind them because the mats are blocking the view. So what they would do is they would throw their backpack over the mats, not into the mats so that they're just not in view. Now, when they were done with class, they would make their way around the mat to go find their things. So they never really had to look inside the mat, lift up the mat, none of that. Okay, so it's like, fine to each their own with these dang mats, okay? Maybe you put them in, maybe KJ was like, you know what, I'm gonna put it in the mat today. Does that really matter? Maybe not. Because the police theory doesn't physically make sense in the fact that the opening of the rolled up tubes, these rolled up mats, the center part where KJ is found, the opening is 14 inches. KJ's shoulders measure 19 inches. How is he gonna slide in there? You're saying not only did he fit in, but he slid down like a slip inside and then he got stuck. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could say one of his arms was up near his head. That does decrease shoulder width, you know, but it's still bizarre. And on top of that, they were claiming that KJ went inside the tube to retrieve his gym shoes. So his gym shoes should already be in there. The only thing in the mat at that point are his gym shoes. He's trying to grab it. So he dives in head first. His head was covered in blood. There was vomit near him. There was vomit on the ground when they moved the mat. But his gym shoes didn't have vomit on it. It almost looked like someone had placed the gym shoes in there afterwards. And why is there vomit? I guess, you know, when you're suffocating or if you're dying, things come out. So, I mean, that doesn't make sense. Why do his shoes not have blood or vomit? Now, the family said that a lot of weird stuff started taking place since then. And I'm going to try to be as unbiased as possible because the last thing that I want to do is I don't want to point fingers at someone without personal knowledge, experience, or even like factual evidence to to back it up. And side note, a lot of the key players involved are very Sue happy. So just be careful out there. And there's a lot of these things that the family talked about in the documentary. So you have to go watch it. Now, the Johnsons, the family, they claim that when they went to the medical examiner's office, this was just a little strange thing they went to id kendrick's body and they were shook at how hot and how warm it was inside the medical examiner's office i mean maybe they were just nervous maybe they were just sweating a little bit i don't know but when they opened up the drawer because you know how they keep everyone in the drawers and then they're inside body bags when they opened up the drawer that kendrick was in they felt this gush of hot air they were like, that's so weird. Now, I don't know if this is true. I don't, I mean, I don't even know how you can factually check this unless they keep like logs of temperatures. I'm sure morgues have to be a very specific temperature. Mm-hmm. So it was just a little bit bizarre. Maybe it was the emotions. Maybe they were really nervous. This is not, you know, pointing fingers at anyone. It's just a little bizarre. They just said it was strange. And when they see him, they keep telling the sheriff's office, look at our son, because it was clear to them. It was clear that he had been in a fight. His face was bruised up. It was badly mutilated. There was hemorrhaging all over his face. And they would later find little cuts on KJ's hands. Now, the news outlets, they had experts who are not related to this case interviewed. And they were like, well, what do you think these little cuts on his hands are? And they said, that looks like fingernail markings. If you're in a fight with someone and they're trying to grab your hands or they're trying to stop you from doing something, maybe they'll mark you with your fingernails. And so the parents, they feel like they're living in this alternate reality. I'm trying to tell the police, hey, look into it because something clearly happened. I mean, like we saw some of the crime scene photos. None of this is making sense. But the police keep brushing them off. You're crazy. You're causing trouble for no reason. Get it over your head. It was just a bizarre tragedy. I get it. You're grieving. But like get over it essentially. Like they were just being incredibly insensitive. Now, I will say. One of the most sensitive parts of this case was the fact that KJ's family received crime scene photos of KJ. And uh, one of the pictures, KJ's face is badly mutilated, just disfigured. I mean, it's shocking. It's graphic. And you immediately get this like emotional trigger when you see this picture. And it, it to you, if you just look at the picture, it looks like something definitely happened. And the family released that particular picture to the media saying, hello, no we want answers for our family. How can you tell us that there was no foul play? Look at our baby. Look at our son. Did you see the picture? Yes. It's all in the documentary and it's all online. Now, side note, the family did release it. So I felt comfortable that they were in the documentary. I didn't feel like, oh, okay, this is weird, right? So later on, experts not involved in the case said that something's a little weird about that picture. Meaning that KJ looked like he had been disfigured from a fight if you didn't know any better. 
But as pathologists, but as medical examiners, but as doctors, they said that these types of injuries are really consistent with decomposition when you're upside down in a mat. All the blood is pooling in your brain. You're suffocating. There's vomit. And then just the natural decomposition process. But also after an autopsy, your skin's going to look different on your face. That's why they send you to a funeral home who's going to fix it up because they have to open up your skull. And when they put your skull back together, your skin is kind of not in its correct place. It's kind of sagging a little bit. So these are coming from experts? Yeah, who are like, yeah, I mean, that's not saying that there wasn't foul play, but these pictures are a tiny bit misleading because when you just look at him without the context of this, it looks like, I mean, he was beat up by multiple people. So the people who were already siding with the police gave more shit to the family, saying, you're trying to deceive the public. You're trying to trick us. You're trying to get this public outrage. You know, when none of this is true, it's all in your head. And none of this is like, just get over it. Come to terms with it. But here's the thing. I highly doubt that anyone in the Johnson family, I just can't imagine them putting this out there if they knew that a lot of what caused the disfigurement in that particular picture could be medically explained. To me, I just feel like from the get-go, the police did not share information with them i feel like they just tossed them a stack of crime scene photos and didn't tell them oh this one this one looks like this because it was right after the autopsy you know after decomp like that's why he looks like that so my question is why is there nobody saw or heard or seeing anything so was he taking a pe class no the third period it doesn't look like so it. nobody knows how he end up in the gym there's cctv footage of him walking into the gym by himself but there is I mean, there investigation of all of that i mean oh it gets weird okay. oh it gets weird so there's clearly some shady things going on with this case besides just the bizarre police theory that he dove head first into the center of a rolled up mat there was the fact that the coroner wasn't called to the scene till five hours after the police got there that is against the law in georgia in georgia the police are supposed to call the coroner right after they find the dead body so the coroner asked the police, like, what's going on? Why? I mean, you guys unrolled him in the mat and then you rolled him back up for me to come here? Like five hours later? That's bizarre. Why did you wait five hours? I mean, yeah. I don't even know how many people came in contact with Kendrick's body. I don't know how many times he was moved. I don't know who touched him. I don't even know who was at the crime scene because you guys didn't tape it off. They didn't tape it off as a crime scene. So the coroner, he gets interviewed by CNN and he says, and I quote, the body had been moved. The crime scene, in my opinion, had been compromised. But then later, he emails CNN and he says, and I quote, I would appreciate if you would destroy this interview with me. I do not want this to be shown whatsoever. I feel that our situation should not be aired. Oh, my goodness. And CNN released that. Yeah, CNN was <laughs> okay. like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna release every correspondence that we've ever had. Okay, now even the coroner thinks that the scene is compromised, so this makes it all weird. And on top of that, there's more. There were three pairs of sneakers at the gym, two inside of the mat. So one of the pairs at the bottom near KJ's head, the one that he supposedly dove in their head first to grab, the ones that had no blood on it, that was that pair. Then another pair near KJ's feet in the tube. But they weren't on. So KJ didn't have shoes on. And it almost like, honestly, if you look at the crime scene pictures, it looks like someone threw in his shoes after he was already in there. Mm -hmm. Like it looked like that. I mean, his legs were all twisted in a weird way. Why wasn't he wearing his shoes? Yeah. Then there was a third pair of sneakers that didn't belong to KJ. They had little specks on them that looked like blood. But the police said that we tested it. It's not blood. It was something else. And because we tested it and it wasn't blood, it was something else. We never brought it in as evidence. They never even tagged it. They never logged it. They never brought it in as evidence. Huh. They didn't try to find out who the shoe owner is. Not saying like, hey, let's go around accusing high school kids because they left their shoes in the gym. But it's like, maybe you could ask, hey, when's the last time you were in the gym? Why were your shoes in the gym? Did you see anything weird? Why are you shoeless? Yeah. My friend, <laughs> why are you walking around? There's like kids walking around <laughs> shoeless and the police are like, well, it's not a crime scene, so... And it's just weird. They did not care. At least rule it out, right? There was also blood on the walls of the gym. Now, I saw pictures of it, and it it doesn't look like a nosebleed. Like, if I were to get a nosebleed and somehow it transferred onto the wall, it's not little droplets, but more so it's like the type that drips down the wall. Do you know what I'm talking about? Now, if I saw it in my house, I wouldn't immediately think someone's dead. But I would, I would be alarmed. I'd call the cops. I'd be freaked out. Like, it's that big enough. Then I'm like, whoa, 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 that's not normal. 
Like if you had a paper cut or something small happened, this would not be what was on the walls. And the police said, well, we tested it and it was blood, but it wasn't Kendrick's. So we're just going to leave it at that. They're like, well, did you find out whose blood it was? No, because we believe it does not appear to be, you know, related to our crime in any way. Huh. (sighs) So that's how it works for these people. (laughs) And like suddenly it's a crime now. What's going on? (laughs) There was also a hoodie near his body with, you know, things that look like blood stains on it. But the police didn't test it. They also didn't log it. It also wasn't KJ's. (laughs) So it's like, whose hoodie was that? Maybe you could find out whose hoodie it was and get them to talk. Tell you what they last saw. Why their hoodie was there. Is that blood on your hoodie? And again, I'm not saying accuse high school kids because they left their shirt in a different room, but just like, I rule it out. Just rule it out like you would any other investigation. So from the whole, the whole scene, from the outside looking in, it looks like Kendrick was rolled into the mat. I mean, I just yeah. can't imagine a situation that makes sense without doing 25,000 mental cartwheels where he is in the mat just there. Like, he just consciously went in there. So I feel like he was placed in there unconscious or already dead. Like, you would roll someone horizontally, like, in a, in a blanket, mm-hmm. that type of feeling, and then tossed in both pairs of his shoes on either end, then put the mat upright so that it's harder for passerbys to see someone's inside the mat. Yeah. And the police said, oh, he dived in there. Yeah, he dove in head first to get a pair of sneakers that were technically on the ground. I don't know if you have ever met a high school teenage boy before i'm gonna take a little drag on them but sometimes okay i'm not saying kendrick is but a lot of them are really lazy okay like i just can't imagine any high schooler male or female diving in head first down a six feet tube when you could just like knock the mat over or just lift it up something that really supports this theory is that kj's legs were also really twisted inside the mat it just doesn't seem natural if you were to dive in head first how did your legs even get like this i mean just what so the medical examiner ruled the death accidental by positional asphyxia so this is like a really rare determination of death so it's like saying that the position that you're placed in caused you to suffocate this is really common amongst newborn babies so if you were to have your baby sleep on their stomach and there was a little pocket of air in your mattress and they have it that's why you're not supposed to sleep with your newborns they would asphyxiate So it's like, oh, they suffocated because the position that they were in, Mm -hmm. not because they were strangled, not because they were smothered or they, you know, drowned. It's like, that's how they died. So some people had really sympathized with the medical examiner because they're saying, well, this medical examiner really didn't have much to go on because, you know, the body had been moved several times, didn't know who had contact. So the whole scene had been contaminated and he just did the best that he could. But on the other hand, a lot of people were really pissed off at this guy. Like, what are you talking about? If there aren't that many facts supporting your case, then you just leave it undetermined. That's mm-hmm. what most medical examiners do, okay? Just do that. Why are you doing the most? And the main part that people were so annoyed with was that when you asphyxiate, there's actually a lot of fluid in your lungs. So that's kind of what causes you to die is that this fluid keeps pumping into your lungs because you can't get oxygen and then you essentially suffocate from that fluid. So that means when they do an autopsy, they take out your lungs. Typically, it's about four times the normal weight because it's stuffed full with fluid. But Kendrick's lungs were the same size. They were the normal weight. There was no fluid found in them. So you really have all these things that don't fit with your little theory But because you have no other theory, this is the one that you're just like sticking with. And then it's also bizarre that the medical examiner is like, I am going to rule this an accidental death because of a theory. It's not factual evidence. The paramedics that had arrived at the scene, they wrote in their report. So the paramedics, they don't work for the police. They told the police to immediately tape off the area. What are you guys doing? This this is a homicide scene. Just by looking at Kendrick's body, they were like, this is a homicide scene. Like, what are you guys doing? Like, put some crime scene tape up. What are you doing? They had just gotten there, too. It's not like they were doing all this investigating. And the police are like, oh, this is just an accident. And they were so confused. They said they felt like the police had this scenario and this theory in their head, and they just went with it. So you're thinking what a lot of people are thinking. Okay. Fine. We've got these two really different theories, these really two different opinions on this, the family and their supporters. Then we've got the police and their supporters. So let's look at the facts. People get emotional in cases like this. That's fine. Let's look at the facts. The school is covered in CCTV footage. There are four CCTV cameras at every single entrance to just the old gym. But the cameras are missing a giant chunk of time. 
from 12.04 p.m. to 1.09 p.m. And even without the CCTV cameras, how did he die in a gym full of people? Because if you were to see the outside hallway, I mean, it looked like students were just in and out of this gym nonstop. People would play like a quick, what do you call it, pick-me-up basketball during class change. Uh-huh. Some kids would come during lunch to play basketball. The gym walls echo. Like if he really suffocated, he would have screamed. So it was never empty. Well, we don't really know definitively because the police didn't also even take in the CCTV footage the day that Kendrick died. They waited like months. They waited until federal prosecutors got involved and they were like, oh, yeah, we should totally ask the school for that. So what do they do? They ask the school to drop it off. They don't go and retrieve it. They're just like, hey, when you got time, just like stop by the courthouse and pass me those tapes. The police received a copy of it. They didn't receive the original files. And this was way after Kendrick's death. Forensic surveillance experts said that it was clearly tampered with. I mean, there's just big chunks of time missing. The video image quality seemed lower than normal, making the footage extra grainy. Now, chunks were also missing, and there's a ton of corrupt files. Just doesn't make sense. So the family's pissed. They're like, okay, no. Does that mean the school is in on it too? Or someone who has access to the school. Maybe there is a parent with a lot of pull. I feel like in these high school situations, it's never the student. It's these parents that really get involved, right? As you guys know, we recently moved from the sunny California state to the East Coast. And I love the East Coast. Don't get me wrong. But I kind of miss just... The feeling of California, the feeling of the sun hitting you all times of the day, just that nice ocean breeze. And the best way that I can connect with that is through Pura Vida. Listen, Pura Vida was started by two California surfers who went to Costa Rica. They fell in love with the art, the laid back lifestyle, and they started beginning partnering with these Costa Rican artisans to create these beautiful braided bracelets. And they sell millions every single year. And on top of that, a portion of what they make goes back to causes you care about. They now partner with over 200 charities and they employ over 800 artisans worldwide. I mean, they have fair trade apparel, artisan-made accessories that are comfortable, casual, eco-friendly. And when you look at them, it feels like summer and you just can't help but smile. They've got these really cute beaded bracelets, but they also have... Which, by the way, are unisex, fully adjustable, and wax-coated, so they're 100% waterproof. But they also have really pretty jewelry. I have an anklet that I've been wearing that it hasn't left my ankle for, like, months now at this point. I love their bracelets. They start at $6. Rings at $12. I stack their rings. They even have this cute little the sun god ring that I've been wearing all the time. I love mixing and matching. They also have really soft tees, like cotton tees that are buttery soft. And almost every style gives back to charity too. So they've already donated over $3.8 million to charity, including $580,000 to animal protection and conservation, $450,000 to disaster relief, and $200,000 for environmental causes, and even $260,000 to mental health awareness and research, and many more amazing causes. So seriously, you can find anything you want on this website. Colorful fun backpacks, jewelry cases, prints like tie-dye on these buttery soft shirts. They've got Leopard prints. You get free stickers with every order. Pura Vida. Look good and do good. To get 20% off your Pura Vida order, text MANGO to 38817. That's MANGO to 38817 to get 20% off at Pura Vida. Terms apply. Available at puravidabracelets.com slash terms. Text MANGO to 38817. Now, the family, they start standing in the corner of the courthouse practically every day, holding up signs that say, if you're tired of looking at us, give us justice and we will stop. All the parents? Just Kendrick's family. The parents, I mean, the parents were really split up, but it seemed like most parents weren't siding with them. Because I think, I don't know how to even give these parents benefit of the doubt because I'm thinking if that was my kid I would want to get to the bottom of it no if that wasn't my kid like if my kid went to that school I would want to get to the bottom of it because if there's a killer on the loose I'm not sending my kid to that school but all of the parents it seems like they automatically went into this default thinking of like ah they're just trying to cause trouble nothing's wrong with our school don't disrupt our happy little bubble 
So they had these signs that were like, what if this was your child? Now, since the sheriff's office refused to help them, they were thinking, well, if we get enough publicity, if we get enough, you know, outrage, maybe someone stronger will come in. Federal prosecutors, maybe the FBI. Please just like help us get not even justice, but like answers. If you give us definitive proof that he dove in there, which you haven't given us other than just like your word, your little theory, right? If you give us proof, we'll stop. That's all we need. So they held these walks from Atlanta, Georgia to Valdosta, which is really far, by the way. So Valdosta is on the Georgia-Florida border. And Atlanta is like really up north, like near Alabama. Wow. So this is like, you know, practically the other side of Georgia. I think that's also why it's very different. You would be more likely to see a Confederate flag hanging in Valdosta, Georgia than you would in Atlanta, Georgia. It's just there's a lot of racial tension there. So they keep, you know, trying to get more attention, more attention. People would yell at them passing by in their cars like random citizens and be like you guys need to get a job and these family members are like we have a job some of them have two jobs actually okay but this is our job too we got to get answers so they're still not getting enough attention and they're like we need to do something drastic so they decide that they're going to lock arms form a barrier at the courthouse entrance so that nobody can walk through and enter the courthouse. It's not violent, but it's it's probably more like civil disobedience, you know? I mean, you, you can get arrested for it, but that's what they decide to do. We need to get attention. We need someone to listen to us. That's all we need. And the family, they were terrified. They could lose everything over this. These aunts, these uncles, these family friends who came, they could lose their jobs. They could lose opportunities. They could be arrested. But they had to do this because this was their son. This was their brother. This was their nephew. This was their best friend. They needed answers. So once they form that barrier, the sheriff's department tries to get them from the inside. So the sheriff's department is inside the courthouse and they're trying to open the doors, like break them up. And they start tugging on their arms aggressively. And they're like, "Okay, Jackie, to the mom. Okay, Jackie, you understand that you can let go or you're going to be arrested. Is that what you want to do? And the police arrest both Jackie and Kenneth, the parents of Kendrick. And people were outraged. I don't know if the sheriff's department thought that they were just being little smart asses, but this, this is what blew up the case. Really? This is exactly what was needed. How dare you arrest the grieving parents when all they want is answers? Like that just feels like the ultimate sick betrayal. You arrested parents who just lost their 17-year-old kid because they want you to do your job? Exactly. You know, they weren't being violent. What is wrong with you guys? And the story starts circulating. At first, people were just outraged that grieving parents were arrested. Then they started digging deeper into Kendrick's story, and they're like, wait a minute. That's a weird story. That's a fishy story. And I think a lot of it had to do also with the history of valdosta georgia now disclaimer if you're from valdosta georgia or are there or know people there i'm not saying that you're racist i'm not saying you're a raging racist and you got a confederate flag outside okay that's not what i'm saying at all usually when we talk about cities or towns being racist it's typically because they have like this notable length of history of racism or maybe there's people in power that are racist and that gets exposed i'm not saying this whole zip code is racist just certain people that have a lot of influence particularly so valdosta Georgia, the name itself is weird. Did you know the name of the town, according to the Valdosta City website, isn't I quote, in honor of Valdosta, the plantation home of former Governor George Troop. Governor George Troop had over 400 slaves on that plantation. They named their town, their city, after a slave plantation. This governor was also one of the richest men in Georgia, and he always advocated for indigenous removal from land. He was like, yeah, let's just steal their land. Let's kill him. That makes sense. So he was just all around a menace to society. And the city is like, we want to honor him. We really want to make him feel a little bit special. So they name a whole town. Now, it started long ago as a railroad town. And there happened to be a major railroad stop here in Valdosta, Georgia. So they built the city around it because they're like, well, if the railroad stops here, we might as well have some trade here. So they start trading food, goods and slaves. So there's a really dark history, like a lot of towns in the South. Now, according to the documentary, though, Valdosta made headlines nationally for a really heinous crime that happened in the early 1900s. There was a woman by the name of Mary Turner. She was eight months pregnant. She was married, trying to live her best life, which was nearly impossible, considering the fact that she was black in the 1900s. One day, a mob of angry people decide, you know what, Mr. Turner, we're going to kill you. I don't know what his supposed crime was to warrant this murder, 
but nothing warrants a murder, so it's completely besides the point. So he gets murdered in public. He gets lynched. And the townspeople are asking Mary, well, how do you feel about that? She's like, how do I feel that you just murdered my husband for absolutely no reason while I'm eight months pregnant? How do I feel about that? And so she she very nicely told them, well, I don't feel so great about that. Like, I wish you guys wouldn't have done that. So what does the angry mob do? Are you serious? You don't agree with what we did? Oh, my God. Get her. So they drag her down. They beat her, light her on fire, mutilate her, cut open her stomach, take out her unborn child who is eight months, and stomp on the baby in front of her before they hang her. A lot of townspeople saw this, and no charges were ever made. And on the memorial, like the anniversary of her death, her memorial was shot up. Someone was like, you know what? Let's just disrespect her further. Then you're thinking, well, that was the 1900s. People are always going to be like, times have changed. As recently as 2018, they were in the news again, Valdosta, Georgia, because there was a Jimmy John's, you know, the sandwich place. Mm -hmm. Well, the workers there, while they were on their shift, they were wearing a fake KKK outfit and cracking jokes while recording themselves. Like, imagine how terrifying that is because you don't even know. You're just innocently trying to get a sandwich one day. You don't know who's working behind the counter employees yeah employees what while on the job and i'm laughing because of like how terrifying and also like kind of stupid that was for them to record it yeah so that's just some of the acts of racism that made the headlines let alone like the day-to-day subtle racism that happens that just aren't on the news and even though more than 50 percent of the population in valdasta is black all of the authority figures mainly like the ones with power the ones with influence sheriff's department politicians people who have influence people with money are primarily white in valdasta now most of the people also working on kendrick's case at the time were white So people start posting on Facebook videos of people around Kendrick's size trying to fit into a gym mat. They're like, let's make it make sense, right? Mm Because to us, it doesn't. It reminds me of the Phoebe Hansjuk case. Do you guys remember where she fell down the trash chute of her boyfriend's high rise building? And I mean, technically, like, yeah, technically she fits. But like, how exactly? Like she would have to work really hard to fit there like the I mean, this is the same situation. Technically, If you paid me $10 million to make myself fit, yeah, I could do it. But like, why would I? Mm -hmm. None of this makes logical sense without doing any just mental gymnastics. So everyone on Facebook starts flipping out. The family, they reach out to another medical examiner in Florida who has been doing this for like 40 years. And they decide to exhume KJ's body, do a second independent autopsy. And she just said it was... It's terrifying. Like when you see your baby boy getting lifted from his grave, it's like this weird feeling of, I mean, I'm sure it's all the pain of, you know, they're supposed to rest in peace, but also that's your baby boy. And now he's coming out from the ground. Like, how do you feel about this? They open up his body. They were shook. All of his organs are missing. The cavities where the organs are, are replaced by newspaper. This, you know, pathologist who had been doing this for 40 years is like, okay, that's not normal. I've never seen that before. Then they reach out to like the National Association of Medical Examiners. They're like, yeah, we've never heard of this type of practice. Like we don't advocate for it. Like we don't know why there's newspapers in there. So they start asking who did this? Because the only other people that had access to his body were one, the medical examiners in Georgia, then two, the funeral home. Mm-hmm. So it's got to be somewhere along there. And it also didn't seem like the parents consented to the organs being taken. So sometimes after an autopsy, the hospitals are like, can we take, you know, this person's organs for research purposes or for medical purposes? And then you're like, OK, well, you got to sign off on it. So people start freaking out. Why would his organs be missing? And then the funeral home said, oh, yeah, we did that. What? So the funeral home said that they received the body without the organs. Now, this is contradicting because there's actually a document signed by the funeral home saying that they received the organs from GBI, which is the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. And then GBI came forward and was like, yeah, we put the organs right back after the autopsy. Why would we take the organs? So who took the organs? We still don't know. 
So they said that they received the body without the organs. They're getting ready for the funeral and uh, they were doing it pro bono. This is kind of important. They weren't getting paid for the funeral because they wanted to be, I guess, good to the Johnson family. Kind of backfired. And they said that they had to fill the cavities with something else. Because, I mean, if your liver and all your organs are gone, you're like you're your body's going to sink into those cavities. So they have to fill it with something. Now, the medical standard practice is to fill it with like this cotton-like material. So if you are donating your organs to science or research, they fill it so that it's still filled. It's not just this empty hole in your body. But because the funeral home was doing it pro bono, it's just been insinuated that they were trying to cut costs. So they stuffed him with newspapers. And the family was just heartbroken because they're like, you stuffed our little baby boy with newspapers like he was a fucking trash can. Like, imagine the disrespect. I can't even begin to imagine. What's also weird is the funeral home signed off with the GBI saying not only did they receive the organs, but they also received the clothes that Kendrick had died in. But now they're backtracking and saying, no, we never got those clothes. We don't have those clothes. So those are missing, too. So the organs are missing, but also so are Kendra's clothes that he died in. So the question is, are they lying about any of these? We don't know. Right? Valdosta to me seems like the type of town where you can really go far with a little bit of influence. I feel like in a place like maybe LA, maybe New York, you would have to be such a powerful person to get away with stuff like this. But in smaller towns, just a certain level of influence can have a lot of pull. So they do the second autopsy and they look at the rest of his body because they can't look at his lungs because it's missing. And the medical examiner said that he found hemorrhaging underneath the jaw. It's near like the corroded sinus nerve system. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but essentially it's a nerve system that controls blood pressure. And if you put like really blunt force trauma onto this nerve system, technically it could slow your heart rate enough that it results in death. So now this second person is saying, I think that the cause of death is blunt force trauma to the neck. This would explain why the first medical examiner said that there were no fluids in the lung, that he didn't asphyxiate. This makes a lot of sense. Now, there's a big debate about it because a lot of other pathologists who saw this on the news were like, I've never really heard of this. Like, this seems incredibly rare to die by this. How do you even put that much pressure on a human being? Like, if there was a little weak spot on a human being where you just press a little bit and they instantly die, we would have known about it by now, right? What could have caused that? And the bruising and the hemorrhaging itself was only a couple centimeters. So this is either like the rarest case ever or it's just bizarre. I don't know. Personally, to me, this cause of death makes a little bit more sense than like diving into a rolled up gym mat because I feel like there's always things like medical mysteries. But human, just like human psychology and human actions tend to typically be normal. And it just doesn't seem normal that he would dive headfirst into that mat. So finally... Federal prosecutors decide to investigate and they start subpoenaing students, parents, and it seems like there's a rumor that's starting, circulating about two brothers. They're so happy. So we're going to call them freaking dumb and dumber. No, I'm kidding. We're going to call them um, Ted and Tom. Okay. Don't sue me, Ted and Tom. Now, allegedly, there had been issues between the brothers and Kendrick before he died. Now, Kendrick's dad even stated that these two brothers were bullying Kendrick, and he would come home, and he's like, I don't know what to do. They keep bullying me. There was another incident that stated that they had gotten into a huge fight, one of the brothers and Kendrick, while they were on a bus headed to an off-home football game. So they get into this, like, huge fight. The parents got involved, but the brothers insist after Kendrick's death, that they were just like best buds. No, we were all friends. We're literally good friends on top of that. Here's a couple of things about the brothers. Initially, they lawyered up. Later, they will talk to the police and the press a little bit, and they'll just like claim their innocence the whole time. Secondly, they're white, and all the police and prosecutors are white. So in a town like Valdosta, we can only imagine that maybe some of this is at play. I, I believe so. And this might be the most important part. Number three. Their dad is a decorated FBI agent. Like I said, in a town like Valdosta or really anywhere, that's going to have a lot of pull. A lot. So allegedly, according to a homicide detective from D.C. who was called in to be one of the federal investigators on this case, he said that people were talking about how the dad, the FBI agent, had been scaring them before they were able to talk to the police. So this one woman said, I don't know. This FBI agent dad keeps coming up to me asking me if I've talked to the police yet, and he would wait outside my workplace just staring into my shop. Now, of course, the dad is like, 
I never did that. He's denying all of it. I have no opinions on any of these. I'm just going to leave it at that because these are, like I said, really sue happy people. Now, the U.S. Marshals did raid this house. Which house? The FBI and the two brothers' house. Which, by the way, search warrants, they were signed off on by judges. Like, you got to get them signed off. The U.S. Marshals came full tactical gear. So I'm assuming that there was enough reason that the judge felt compelled. Yeah, let's search this person's house. And the brothers said that they were shocked. They were interviewed and they said, I want everyone to know the truth. And I mean, they can ridicule me. They can say whatever they want. But in the end, the truth will prevail. And everybody will find that me and my brother have been innocent and always will be innocent. An anonymous email was sent to the sheriff's office from a teenage girl from the same high school. And it said, and a lot of the names are redacted because they're minors, right? My best friend was at a party with another friend and they were upset about something because Blank had said that her and her best friend started talking. And by the end of the night, that person had told her that everything that the whole nation had been wondering for the past year. She told my friend what really happened to KJ. Listen, Spooktober is coming up and I really want to make Spooktober amazing for this podcast, but also my YouTube channels. And I did not notice how much pressure I had been putting on myself and how much anxiety that's been causing and like feelings of, oh, no, what if this Spooktober sucks? Which is why this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you feel like there's something that's on your mind or maybe you just want to talk to someone or you're like, hey, if I did this, I think I would be a little bit happier. Or maybe this is something that I need to deal with in order to achieve my goals. BetterHelp is the place to go. They assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist that you can actually start communicating with in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line, guys. It's not self-help, but it is professional therapy done securely online. Now, what's really cool is that they have this broad range of expertise available, which a lot of it might not be locally available in some areas, and the service is available for clients worldwide. Like I've already said before, I love the fact that I can still talk to my counselor No matter the fact that I moved, I don't have to go through the process of like breaking up with them, finding a new one, or even if I travel out of the country, I still can talk to my therapist. You can log into your account at any time and send a message to your therapist and you get a timely and thoughtful response. Plus, on top of that, you can schedule weekly and video phone sessions so you never have to sit in that uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. Side note, they're also committed to like facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. I've actually changed a couple of times before I found the one that I'm currently with, and I just feel like it helps to know that like, hey, if it's not working perfectly, I can talk to somebody else. And it's just so easy. So BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Rotten. That's Better H-E-L-P and join over the 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional therapists in all 50 states. So special offer for Rotten Mango listeners. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Rotten. Blank said that little over a year ago, she had sexual intercourse with KJ while dating Blank. When he found out, when her boyfriend found out that she had cheated on him with KJ, he threatened KJ. So KJ told him, well, meet me in the old gym after third block and have your knife ready. So Blank, the boyfriend, brought his friend, met with KJ and killed him. He's also been heard admitting to killing KJ more than once at parties. His brother, Blank also got drunk at a party on the 4th of July and told many people that Blank, his brother, killed KJ and he was tired of keeping it a secret. Who's this person? I mean, a lot of people on the internet speculate it's the FBI brothers. But we're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure. Now, the police found out who sent the email. They tracked the girl down and they claimed that she did not have any firsthand accounts, that she was just basing this off of high school rumors, high school speculation. She meant well. She wasn't trying to like throw a throw a bomb on the investigation, but her information just was not credible because I think a few people in the note had alibis. So, for example, one of the brothers was on a bus headed to a wrestling match with his team. The time that the police believed that KJ died, the other brother happened to be in class on the other side of the school during the time that investigators believe KJ died. Again, like, what does this mean? I don't know, because if even the CCTV footage can be tampered with, I'm sure you can tamper with these records easily. So in 2014, 
Kendrick's family sued the school, the school district, and the Board of Education because they said that one of the brothers, the FBI brothers, had bullied Kendrick and attacked him before, sometimes even in front of the teachers. So much so that Kendrick's mom had complained to the school, but they didn't do anything. You guys never did anything. And now my baby's dead, you know? So in 2015, the family also filed a $100 million lawsuit against the FBI agent dad, claiming that this FBI agent ordered his two sons to kill Kendrick. Jackie would later dismiss this lawsuit, but then she got hit with the lawsuit for legal fees and defamation from that family. I think the Johnson family, they were just so passionate about getting justice and like who can blame them. They're just panicked. Like imagine the feeling of, you know, something happened and everyone's gaslighting you essentially like, oh, the police are like, what are you talking about? Nothing happened. The whole town is like, stop causing so much hassle. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. So they had kind of accused people without evidence. And in the eyes of the law, technically, yeah, that can be seen as slanderous and defamatory. Do we blame them? Personally, I don't. But they will later uh, settle out of court and they have to pay two hundred thousand dollars. Wow. So in 2016, Anonymous gets involved. (gasps) Not an anonymous person, but the anonymous hacking group. And they said that this was a forking cover-up and that the students are scared that they had talked to students from this high school and these students are scared to come forward with information. They were getting threatened. The biggest threat was that graduation was going to be gone. These students would never get to graduate. The police wanted to suppress any students that actually knew the truth That's what Anonymous said. We got to do something. But nothing really came out of it. Then in 2018, Jackie filed an affidavit that said someone, redacted person, someone unknown person, confessed that their friend had killed KJ. And he had hit KJ in the neck with like the end of a 45 pound dumbbell. Then they went and deleted the high school CCTV footage. Now, all of this kind of adds up, like the dumbbell and the injury that he had on his neck. Maybe that makes sense. So if they were able to delete the CCTV footage, I feel like some people think, well, maybe it's a faculty member then. I feel like it's a student with a parent who is really active and trying to make sure that their child is not going to go to jail. If this is true. I just can't imagine a faculty member doing that. And then comes out it's a faculty member. So the family have their third autopsy. And this confirmed the second autopsy's findings. And the pathologist actually reached out to like four other pathologists who confirmed they also think that he died from blunt force trauma to the neck. So January of 2021, Jackie is now suing the FBI family and the county of Lowndes County. And of March of 2021, a couple of months ago, Kendrick's case was finally reopened in Georgia. Now, I don't know what that means because Tamla Harsford, her case was reopened. <laughs> but like, is something happening? I don't know. Do we know? We don't know. Who knows? Maybe they're working tirelessly behind the scenes. Maybe they're just like saying it's reopened so that maybe the public won't be as mad at them. That's it. That's it. That's the latest update. And technically, it's still unsolved. I mean, I really don't know where to stand with this because truly, I don't want to ever point fingers at someone without having like crazy evidence. I don't think that he went in there willingly. That's all my personal belief. My personal belief with zero experience. I just don't think that he went in there. I wish someone say something. Yeah. Like these students. I don't understand the anonymous part. They couldn't even figure out what's going on. No. So everybody just too scared to say something. Yeah, I think with the thing with anonymous is like maybe they could find out, maybe they know, mm-hmm. but I wonder if it has so much to do with dealing with minors and if these minors are like, listen, I'm terrified. I don't think it would be in anyone's best moral. That means there are some really powerful people at play. Yeah, which I'm thinking like I think that's why a lot of people are pointing fingers at the FBI family because like, their parents again, you know? how much power can one individual like that have? To me, it seems like the school is putting a lot of pressure on kids, no? Yeah. It seems like the school is trying to make sure that this gets suppressed. Right. So the the changing CCTV, the kids are at graduation. You know, all of these sounds very involved with school. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Maybe the people Mm -hmm. who run the school have, they have their own reasons. Maybe their reasons are the same reasons that maybe another powerful parent wouldn't want this to be on the news. It's just, again, like one of those like small towns where 
everyone is so easily connected. Like you just can't imagine this happening in like a bigger city. I mean, worse things happen in bigger cities, but in the sense of like, how does someone or a group of people, because that's what I imagine, have this much pull? And you have to wonder, just to put it in perspective, I'm going to end it here. What if it was the FBI agent's white son who went missing? You know, that's what a lot of people say. We're not saying it's the FBI agent's son, but there are rumors. Like, listen, if the son of an FBI agent who happens to be white ends up dead with suspicious circumstances, and there are rumors that Kendrick, the black high school kid, was allegedly aggressive with this white son of an FBI agent, you think that the case is going to be handled this way? You think they're going to lose CCTV footage? You think they're going to just organs are going to disappear? You think so? I don't think so. Let's be real. That's not going to happen. Now, Kendrick's sister in the documentary, she did say this, and this made me cry and call my sister. She said, tell your sibling that you love them every day. It doesn't matter if you're mad or if you're disagreeing. Tell your whole family that you love them because anything can happen. You won't be able to tell them that you miss them. So don't take your family for granted. So go tell your family you love them. And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's mini-sode. Let me know. What do you think happened? And I hope we get some answers. And I'll see you guys on Wednesday. Bye.